it's really important to understand that what we bring to the table ourselves as parents sets the tone for everything. And so if we are constantly stressed out, overtired, depleted, um, unhealthy physically and mentally ourselves, we bring that into every aspect of our relationship with our kids and every aspect of how we are raising them. And that can become really stressful and really problematic. You're listening to the Wisdom for Wellbeing podcast, the show that blends science and heart to bring you evidence-based tips and tricks for cultivating a healthy, wealthy, and meaningful life. Now, here's your host, therapist, yogi, and fellow full-life balancer, Dr. Caitlin Harkis. Well, hello there. Welcome back to Wisdom for Wellbeing. It's Caitlin here, and I am delighted to have you listening today and learning all about children's mental health and how this is related to what they're putting into their bodies, their time engaging in physical activity, and how we can support kids in cultivating a healthy relationship with technology, as well as cultivating a sense of connection within our families. As always, the information that we are integrating, learning here applies to kids, of course, and to us because we are all human beings and so many of the tips and tricks that apply to little ones really apply to us. So we're talking today with Dr. Nicole Birkins. Dr. Nicole is a leading clinical psychologist. She has advanced degrees in psychology, education, and nutrition, in addition to being the mother of four children. She is really what we would consider to be a holistic child psychologist, and she's dedicated 22 years of care supporting parents with simple, effective research-based strategies to allow them to really get to the root of children's attention, anxiety, mood, and behavior difficulties, challenges, so that they can ultimately reach their highest potential. She has a really down-to-earth, informative approach, and I think that you'll find that Dr. Nicole does a brilliant job of helping us understand how we can actually support our children or the little people in our lives to move their bodies, to engage in really connecting activities. You know, a lot of us know conceptually that these things may not be the most healthful things that our kids can be doing having strategies to support our kids in a respectful manner to engage in other ways of being and of course our modeling of such is really important and i think you'll find in this episode dr nicole talks you through it so i'd really love to jump into the episode i do just want to flag if you are not on the yoga nerds mailing list head to drcaitlin.com um You can grab a free guidebook there as a little bonus and put in your details so that I can let you know when Yoga Brain 101, a mindfulness and acceptance-based 
course that uses psychological strategies with mindful movement in the form of yoga that is being released very soon. And I would love to let you know um, so that you can be one of the, you know, I guess early informants if um, if that sounds up your alley and you just want a bit more information, some more details, head to drcaitlin.com. Now, without further ado, here is Dr. Nicole. Welcome to Wisdom for Wellbeing. I am delighted to be here with you today. So thank you for taking the time to have a conversation around all things, you know, mindful parenting and and life. Happy to be here. Thanks for having me. So just to give listeners a bit of a background, would you mind just introducing yourself and the work that you're doing? Sure. Um, I'm Dr. Nicole Birkins. I have degrees in clinical psychology and nutrition and education, actually. So my career path has taken a little bit of a winding um, way through my life. I started out as a teacher working with um, kids in elementary, middle school, and high school, um, and then focused more on doing work with families and with children with more significant uh, developmental disabilities and mental health issues. I've been in private practice now for um, gosh, 20 years doing uh, that work, um, primarily with children through young adults. And um, I work with uh, parents and, and families then around that as well. Got really interested about 10 years ago in the connection between physical health and mental health for kids and, and for adults, but particularly um, you know, looking at how food and nutrition and lifestyle impact mental health for children and teens. Um, and so went back and got a degree in nutrition to do work focused around sort of holistic health along with uh, psychology for kids. And that's really what I spend my time doing is working with children and teens and their families in my practice around those kinds of issues. Um, and then doing a lot of teaching and speaking, uh, not just for parents, but also for professionals in the education and mental health and medical um, communities around how to best meet the needs of kids, especially during these uniquely challenging times. It's really interesting that you've kind of come at this, this holistic approach, you know, the fact that what we're doing with our bodies, what we're putting into our bodies, that this really does affect our mental health as young people as well. And, you know, that it's not something that just catches up with us. It sounds like you're kind of saying that from an early age, these things are going to be very impactful. Yeah, absolutely. And I think I came to that too, you know, I talked about my professional background on the personal side, I'm a mom of four. Um, my kids right now are, are 14, 17, 19, and 21. So, so my kids are older now, but um, I, I came to that real interest and, and starting to delve into the research around the physiology um, of mental health issues and child development, um, even with some things with my own kids and noticing connections there and noticing connections with um, children in the clinic and just going, you know, this wasn't something that was talked about or focused on in my training, both in child development and education or in my training in, you know, the realm of psychology and mental health. And it got me curious about that. And so it really uh, should be a cornerstone 
of what we talk about when we talk about wanting to raise kids to be not only the healthiest that they can be, but uh, the most productive and happiest, um, you know, uh, people that they can be, we really should be looking at those lifestyle and uh, nutrition kinds of pieces too often, especially when we look at, um, you know, how many kids are being diagnosed with mental health issues, especially right now with the pandemic. I mean, we just have this um, skyrocketing rates of, of even younger children, but certainly through the teen and young adult years, um, you know, having challenges with anxiety, with uh, mood, with depression, with increased behavioral issues. And too often we focus on that purely from um, sort of a mind uh, perspective of, well, they need coping skills. Well, you know, they must have chemical imbalances. They need medications that that tends to be where the focus is. And really what the research shows us and what um, I know now from over two decades of practice is a real foundation for supporting brain health and function and, and mental health in kids is looking at things as basic as how well are they sleeping? And are they getting enough movement and exercise during the day? And what are they eating? What's being put in their bodies to fuel them? And what's the stress level like um, around them? Uh, and those things are foundationally important. And yes, the things that we do therapeutically around you know, cognitive behavior strategies and things that are commonly done in, you know, psychotherapy for kids or working with parents around good parenting strategies that are needed. You know, all of those kinds of things are really important, but we need to be looking at foundations of, of good overall health and wellness too. And I think very often that gets missed, unfortunately. Well, that's an important thing for any parents or people who work with young people, you know, be it teachers, educators, you know, child care providers, that this is something we all need to be thinking about as a community to, to support our young people in getting their bodies moving in getting healthy foods into the system. And, and you mentioned the managing stress levels, because this is such, such an unusual period, which you highlighted, it's unusual challenges. How do we start to support these kids, our kids, our community with, with managing stress in such an unsettled time, there's a lot of uncertainty. And I imagine kids are asking a lot of questions. Ear ish. I mean, it's hard to imagine, but we really are coming up on a year of dealing with this, um, pandemic situation and everything that's associated with that. Um, and, you know, at least here in the U.S., we've had quite a lot of other uh, upheaval and uncertainties. It's, it's really been quite a year and it has, um, it has created unprecedented levels of stress. Um, I think it has highlighted some things that already were kind of problematic for um, lots of kids and families, but taken it to a whole new level. And so, certainly the amount of stress that parents have had to deal with, that kids have had to deal with, uh, shutting down of the schools, not having access to um, you know, the typical stress relieving activities and extracurriculars and social interaction, all of those things, you know, we look at how that's affected us as adults and it's been hard. And then we say, well, of course it's been really hard for, for our kids too. And so challenges, you know, all the way around. And, and I think one of the biggest challenges that um, I've been seeing and that certainly my colleagues at my clinic have seen um, is the challenges for families figuring out how to balance 
all of this? How do you figure all this out? How do you balance this, especially now in a long-term type of situation? You know, it's so funny now to, to look back on the things that we were talking about and saying back in March and April of last year, you know, the things that we were recommending. And none of us had any idea that we would still be living with the reality of all of these changes a year later. And one of the things that happens with increased stress like this over time as it becomes more chronic is we get really worn down by it. And I think that's what we're seeing now is families sort of in the initial phases of this um, kind of had more resilience, like, okay, this is a, a short-term thing. Let's just get through this school year. You know, we'll do whatever we need to do to get through. And then, you know, in the fall, it'll be back to normal. And then that didn't happen. And so it's this sort of wearing on us effect over time of parents now saying, gosh, I've been trying now for a long time to figure out how to balance how much screen time my kids have with, you know, school and outside of school. And how do I get my work done and still meet their needs? We're all together in the same house or apartment all the time. Or, you know, my kids are back to school some of the time, but then schools are shutting down because of things. And how do I balance that with my work? How do I take care of myself? How, how do I make all of this work? Um, in a situation that really still has such a tremendous amount of uncertainty um, from one day and one week to the next. And I think that's a big piece with our kids too. You know, kids thrive on routine, on stability, on knowing what to expect. It's how they make sense of their world, especially, you know, our younger ones. And if there's one thing the last year has shown us, it's, you know, we don't necessarily know. Um, what's coming. We can't give kids hard and fast, um, you know, things to hold on to as far as this is when you're going to be able to go back to your sport that you love, or this is when you're going to be able to, you know, visit grandma and grandpa again, or this is when school is going to be back to normal. And so that has all contributed to really raising um, the amount of anxiety and, and amount of stress, um, you know, for, for kids and for adults. And, and I think it's important for us to normalize that if kids are struggling more right now, um, that makes a lot of sense. It would actually be pretty abnormal for a kid in the midst of all this to go, oh yeah, you know, I'm fine not having any additional things. Like, of course, younger kids are melting down more. Of course, older kids are getting more frustrated. Like, how would they not be? Um, this is a really unusual thing that's been going on for a long time. So I think just framing it that way is helpful to us. Okay. So sort of validating the fact that, yeah, sure. This, this is unusual. This is tough and it's tough for everyone. It's tough for parents. It's tough for kids. Um, and so there's going to be an emotional response. And also you mentioned that some of the stress relieving activities, you know, might not be available to everyone depending on where, where we're located and kind of what our pandemic response has been in our varying communities and nations. So I'm, I'm curious, you know, you mentioned the screen time, for instance, you know, you mentioned number one, validating what kids are experiencing. We're not saying, oh no, it's all fine. Don't worry. We're saying, okay, of course, of course this is hard. And then you mentioned the screen time. So how do we kind of manage screen time? I think generally as well, you know, I'm based in Australia and we've been really perhaps fortunate that we're a little island that has has um ocean around us because we've had a very different experience than you know for instance you would have in the US but i think screen time is something that is 
globally being talked about more because it's something that's a part of our daily lives and probably enhanced in a lot of households when parents are working from home, for instance. So how do we go about managing that flexibly? Yeah, I mean, I think the the flexibility of it is key. It's interesting because screen time has become one of the defining issues for this generation of parents and kids, even before the pandemic. Um, And, you know, technology is a double-edged sword for all of us, right? It's like on the one hand, technology is amazing and wonderful. And certainly during this pandemic period has allowed our children to continue with their education, has allowed us to stay connected to friends and family. Um, so certainly we don't want to demonize technology, um, you know, altogether. And on the other hand, we know that there are some very serious problems that result particularly for our kids from overuse of devices. And there's just no getting around that at this point. Um, the science is just clear that excessive use of devices leads to problems for our kids in lots of ways, physical health problems, you know, being overly sedentary, driving up rates of obesity and and those kinds of physical issues, even eye health and eyesight issues. And then on the mental health side, we know that overuse or excessive use of um, screen time leads to increased levels of anxiety, of depression, even suicidality leads to social disconnectedness. So we know that there are major risks and yet technology also offers us these great benefits. So it really is about figuring out for each child and each family, what constitutes a healthy relationship with technology. And and it's been interesting to watch um, over the course of this pandemic, how how adults respond to this. You know, on the one hand, there are people who say, we really need to um, be mindful of this, especially with children who are spending many hours a day for school now on their devices. We need to be really mindful about what they're doing the rest of the time and looking at that. And then on the other extreme, we have parents um, and even some professionals saying, you know, how can we expect any parent to set limits on this right now? This is an unusual situation. It, you know, just let kids do what they're going to do and we'll deal with it after. Um, and, and I certainly understand where that's coming from, but the reality is um, we should never have a free-for-all situation with kids and tech. That is not only unhealthy, but also in some ways dangerous um, when kids are just left to do whatever they want, whenever they want. So I think the reality is that during this time, there has been increased use for the vast majority of kids. And that is appropriate under the circumstances of not having other ways to connect with peers, not having other activities and and doing school online. Um, But what I think is helpful for parents to keep in mind Um, around this whole issue is not so much setting these artificial rules about how many minutes or hours a day you get to have on devices. And sometimes parents get really hung up on that. And they say to me, like, what is the rule that I should set? Just tell me how many hours a day should I let my kid have? And really, it's a more nuanced conversation around, well, what do we want our kids doing over the course of their day? And when we start to look at what are the things besides stuff that they do on devices that we want them to do, that helps us start to look at how we can, um, you know, create some systems and some boundaries that are healthier. So I'll speak for myself, you know, being a, a mom, what else do I want my kids doing? Well, I want them participating in chores and contributing to the household. I want them getting a good night's sleep. 
I want them uh, getting movement in, whether, you know, for my daughter, that looks like attending her dance classes. Um, for uh, a couple of my sons, it means, uh, you know, getting their workout in in the gym that they put downstairs for themselves. Uh, one of my boys really likes going outside and, you know, riding his bike and doing those things. I want them getting physical movement in. Um, I want them sitting down at the table for with us to have our family meal. Um, so, you know, we start to look at what are the things we want them to be engaging in and, and then how do we create expectations in a structure that allows that to happen. So, you know, it, it looks more like figuring out what are all the pieces that we want in our kids' lives and that we want them to prioritize during the day and less like sort of this really rigid schedule of, um, you know, these are the times you're allowed to use devices or this is many minutes. And, and that really tends to work best for most families to say, let's make sure we are incorporating a variety of things into the day, not just screens. Um, and and that's, a, that's a more positive way to go about it. I will say the exception is young kids. The research is really clear that our young children, our preschoolers and under really should not have um, long periods of time on devices. It's not healthy. It's not supportive of their development. So there we really do want to be looking at, you know, a max of, you know, one to two hours at the most of time on screens. And that is a very appropriate hard and fast limit to set with little ones. But as they get into their school years, um, you know, and certainly up into uh, their high school years, I think approaching it more of what do we want the day to look like? What's important to you? What's important to me as a parent? And how do we fit that in? I think that that's a healthy and flexible way to look at it. It's a really interesting point. So starting with the components and as you said, sort of figuring out what, what sort of pieces of the puzzle you want there, what are the important things in your kid's life? You know, the household chores, the family dinners, the, the movement, like these various elements and components that will support our young people in becoming balanced individuals. And as a parent kind of looking at that, but also it sounds like having a conversation with um, your kids. So how do you go about structuring that conversation for it to be rather than, you know, an authoritarian sort of like, this is how it will be. How do you, how do you have this nuanced conversation? Yeah, it's a great question. And just like any of the, you know, challenging things that we might need to talk about with our kids, I think there's a few principles that are important. First, it's important for us as parents to identify where our values and boundaries are around that. What's important to us for how our kids are using um, devices. And I'll just use an ex as an example, like a basic safety issue. Um, in my house, there is a rule that devices do not stay in the bedrooms at night. Um, there's not room for discussion with that. I go into conversations with my kids about uh, device use um, with a few really firm things that are not negotiable. And for, for us in our house, that's one of them just from a safety perspective. So it's important for parents to identify for themselves before engaging kids in the conversation, you know, where, where is there room for flexibility? And, and, you know, what are the rules that we just, you know, feel like um, we, we need to stick to no matter what. And then saying to kids, look, you know, depending on their age, the conversation can look a little bit different, but saying, look, all of our goal here is to um, make sure that we're using this stuff in healthy ways. And so let's talk about what that looks like. And, you know, by the time they hit those high school or teen years, we do need to really be engaging them in thinking with us about what's working or not working for them, what they're noticing, you know, putting things out there um, to kids. Uh, you know what I've noticed? I've noticed that 
Um, when you spend two or three hours at a time, you know, watching videos or, um, you know, using apps or whatever, you seem to be more irritable or you seem to have a harder time falling asleep. They may disagree, but we're sharing our observations and we're leaving space for them to start to notice some of these things for themselves. Um, to say, you know, what's working as far as your online schooling? What do you think is helping you and not helping you? And to engage them in really thinking about those things and then working together on what do we think this should look like? And I'm a big proponent for lots of things with kids of saying, let's make a plan and let's try it for a week or two. And then let's regroup and let's figure out what seems to be working or not working. And then let's refine it from there. And that engages kids in this process of really approaching these things from a problem solving perspective and really looking at what's working about the way that I'm using devices or the way that I'm structuring my time, what's not working, how can I tweak this? And that process, um, whether it's around device use or, or other things, that's modeling for them a really valuable process that they can take with them into adulthood then um, for identifying things that they feel like are working well or not and how they can make a plan to change those things. Um, so, so I think that's a good way to engage them um, in that conversation. And, and I think the other big thing around device use and how we are communicating with our kids about that is how we're communicating about that through our own device-related behavior. Because we can say things to kids, but as adults, we all know they will take way more from what they see us doing than what they hear us saying. So it's one thing for us to say, you spend too much time on devices, we need to put limits on that. But if they see us, spending all of our free time with our face in a screen or not putting devices down at the dinner table or multitasking with multiple devices or not really stopping to listen to what they're saying because we're distracted with our texts. That behavior on our part sends them a much bigger message about um, you know, what we believe about device use, what we think is important. And as they get older, um, they're gonna throw that back at us then. You know, you're telling me, that this is unhealthy, what about you? And so a starting point, no matter what the age of the child is, um, for this whole conversation starts really with what we are modeling and being willing to analyze our own use of screens and devices and to really say, am, am I as a parent aligned in my own use of these devices with what I'm telling my kids is healthy and appropriate? And so it starts with us getting ourselves um, you know, figured out with that piece and then um, talking with our kids about it. I think that's really important. It's a really interesting point, isn't it? Because how easy would it be if we could just say what we wanted, you know, young people to do and not, not look at our behavior? Because I think that applies across a few domains that you've actually talked about. You know, you talked about physical movement, for instance, and nutrition, food, what we do with our bodies, what we put into our bodies. I imagine that is also something that children are learning from example, from environment. So I guess, would you mind maybe even giving us a few tips for how we kind of create a healthy sort of family culture in these different domains, because it seems like you have a lot of conversation with your kids, that there's a culture, a connection around how these experiences, I don't even necessarily want to say rules. It sounds like there are some hard and fast rules, but um, expectations are how the culture has been created. Could you just give us a few tips on this overarchingly? 
Absolutely. And it's a great thing for us to delve into because one of the challenges that parents face and one of the things that stresses most parents out more than anything is how do I get my kids to do the things that they need to be doing, right? How do I get them to um, eat better? How do I get them to behave or communicate better or whatever? It's a constant challenge and parents feel really frustrated by it. And one of the keys to that is to understand that we only have control over ourselves and our behaviors, right? No matter how much we want to think that we can control our kids, we can't control any other human being. And that goes for our children too. But what do we have control over? We have control over ourselves and how we manage our emotions and how we behave in our lives. And where that becomes a really powerful and helpful thing for parents to keep in mind is when it comes to anything that we want our kids to be doing, it starts with us being a model for that. And that we do have 100% control over. So if we take food as an example, because parents say to me all the time, oh, you know, he just wants to eat, you know, junk food and snacks. And how do I get him to eat more fruits and vegetables? And it's like, well, let's start with what do you have control over? Well, you have control over what you're eating and what your kids see you eating. And it's interesting in the realm of healthy eating because study after study after study shows that one of the key ways to raise kids to be healthier eaters is for us to be healthier eaters ourselves. Kids who see one or both parents or adults in the home consuming fruits and vegetables on a regular basis much greater likelihood that they will do that. So you say, okay, I can control that for myself. I can model eating fruits and vegetables. I can model making healthier snack choices. I have control over what food comes into the house. So I can make those choices about purchasing healthier snacks and having produce in the house and not having the Twinkies and the soda pop and whatever. Now, my child might not be happy with that, but I get to control, you know, what comes into the house. So we start to think about what do we have control over? And that gets us out of this constant power struggle with our kids over trying to get them to do things. Because guess what? If you have Twinkies and potato chips and, you know, sugary cereals and sodas and, and all of that stuff in there, how many power struggles are you going to have on a daily basis with your kid over, well, you know, I don't want you to have that right now. Well, then why is it in the house in the first place? Or, hey, mom, you don't want me to have that, but how come I see you eating it, right? And so this, whether we're talking about food or anything else, um, really looking at what do we as the parent have control over and being, um, being good about modeling those, um, you know, control uh, in this area with devices. It's another thing. Um, you know, we have control over what we model. We have control over some basic safety things. You know, when parents say to me, um, you know, well, you know, I'm really concerned because my uh, teenager is in their bedroom, losing sleep, doing Snapchat and, you know, texting and doing all of these things into the night uh, and I can't stop them. And I think, well, that's interesting. Like, no, I wouldn't want you to physically go in and have a fight over taking the phone away. But one thing you absolutely can control because you own the phone and the phone plan is 
using an app on there that shuts devices down in the night, or if it worse comes to worse, having your cell phone carrier turn off the service at that time. Those are things that sometimes parents forget that you have control over that. And when it comes to the safety and the welfare of your child, you can take control over some of those things without getting into these power struggles that then break down our relationship and just create um, a lot of stress. Movement's another area. What are we modeling? for our kids as far as movement. You know, we tell them, turn off the TV and go outside and play, you know, get some exercise. Do they see us doing that? Do they see us setting aside time for modeling those um, activities, for showing them that physical movement is important, um, you know, in our lives? And no, we can't, you know, physically make a kid move, but we can say, you know, oh, family dance party, you know, while we do the dishes or, you know, I'm taking the dog out for a walk. I'd love for you to come with me. We can create these openings and these invitations for kids to join us in these things that we want them doing. And that really approaches it in a much more positive and relationship focused way. Um, and when we look at how much stress families are under right now, what we want is to be approaching these things in ways that reduce stress, not add more stress. And I think so often parents feel like any action steps they might take in any of these areas with these kids is just going to create more stress, more problems. And so I think it's really important for parents to realize that there are starting points and there are ways to move in these directions um, that don't involve increasing power struggle and increasing stress. I think that's a really beautiful point. And I think it's a really interesting point because you mentioned you know, us as parents, um, as models, you know, going out, for a walk, having a dance party, like getting our body moving, maybe it's doing yoga in the yard, whatever it is, that that's actually something that is going to provide us a gross stress reduction, you know, the same way it will provide our kids, which might then lead us to being more well-equipped to manage, you know, the, the challenges that do come with life and with parenting in particular, I guess, just as we start to wrap up a little bit, would you be able to maybe just give a couple of tips for parents to take care of themselves in this, you know, vital role. I love that you asked that because it's so, so important. And it, it almost seems cliche. And I think so many adults are so sick of hearing at this point, like take time for self-care and take care of yourself. But when it comes to raising our kids, it's really important to understand that what we bring to the table ourselves as parents sets the tone for everything. And so if we are constantly stressed out, overtired, depleted, um, unhealthy physically and mentally ourselves, we bring that into every aspect of our relationship with our kids and every aspect of how we are raising them. And that can become really stressful and really problematic. And so when, when parents say, well, you know, I've got kids, I don't have time to, you know, calm myself or take care of myself or, you know, uh, worry about my own stuff. I have to worry about my kids. Um, I really help parents slow down and think about what, what that actually means, because it is not selfish to take care of yourself. It's actually necessary for being the best parent you can be to your kids. It also isn't helpful 
when we don't take care of ourselves and meet our own needs and work on our own stuff, because then we can't parent our kids in a way that's going to be as productive. So putting ourselves in the center of that and saying, if I'm going to be effective with my child, if I'm going to be the best parent I can be, if I'm going to, you know, help them be the best child they can be, give them the best growing up experience, that means I do need to look at my own needs and how I'm caring for that. It's just essential. Um, a lot of the work that we do at my clinic, people are surprised to hear they're like, well, don't you want to meet with my kid all the time? And, and actually, especially initially when I'm working with, you know, a child and their family, I spend a lot more time working with the parents initially than I do the child, because I know from the child development research, from parenting research, from educational research, from all of that, that what parents bring to the mix is so powerful and so important. So we need to be taking care of ourselves. And one of the biggest areas is we need to find ways to keep ourselves at what we would call emotionally and behaviorally regulated, which means that we are able to experience uncomfortable feelings, whether that is um, stress or anxiety or embarrassment or hurt or uh, disappointment or whatever it might be. And we need to be able to manage that in an appropriate and healthy way ourselves if we're going to help our kids, because kids will trigger those things in us like nothing else. You know, a child starts to melt down and get upset in the middle of the grocery store. And immediately that triggers in us this, you know, anxiety and shame and embarrassment and all of these things. And if we aren't good at soothing ourselves and managing those feelings for ourselves, what do we end up doing? Well, we end up responding to our child in a way that isn't very helpful, right? We might start yelling or escalating with them or, you know, being harsh with them or punitive with them in a way that doesn't resolve the situation. It actually tends to make it worse, but it stems from us needing to learn to manage our own feelings and behaviors. So this idea of how do we keep ourselves regulated and calm, especially in the midst of stress or when our kids are very unhappy or distressed about things. What do we do for ourselves? And I think on the one hand, we need to be proactive about managing our stress levels and caring for ourselves. And that means if we're not sleeping well, what do we need to do to address that? If we are not eating consistently during the day, or if we're trying to you know, survive on a diet of, of things that we know really is not helping us to feel very good, what steps can we take there? If it would benefit us to work with a professional or get some support around some of our own um, historical things that have happened to us or some of our own emotions or relational challenges, doing that, being proactive about saying, how can I best support myself? And then in the moment when things are tough, using some good uh, strategies that come out of sort of uh, the, the fields of mindfulness that come out of relaxation training, being able to slow ourselves down and take three deep breaths before we respond to our child who is speaking to us disrespectfully or, you know, having a temper tantrum or whatever, you know, oh, okay, let me slow myself down, put my hand on my heart or on my belly and take three slow, deep breaths before I answer. Well, what does that do for us? It keeps our brain in a calmer space. So we aren't reacting to them out of these you know, intense emotions of, of anger or embarrassment or anxiety or whatever, it slows us down. Um, 
using some of those mindfulness strategies of, okay, my kid's really losing it right now and I'm getting worked up. Let me focus on just looking around the room. Let me ground myself. What are five things that I can see right now in my environment? Or let me literally stop right here and focus on the feeling of the floor under my feet and grounding myself in that and even closing my eyes and just focusing on my own breath for a moment or just focusing on counting backwards from a hundred. There's all these little tricks and tools that we can use and different things work for different people, but it's finding in that moment when our kids are really triggering us or when we're really in stressful moments with them, how do we slow ourselves down? How do we ground ourselves so that we can respond to them with regulation on our side, at least, so that we're responding to them in a place where we are managing our feelings and behaviors. And what that does is immediately brings their level of reactivity down and helps them to be able to ground themselves and manage the situation in a more productive way as well. But it starts with us being able to do that. No child at any age is able to manage their own emotions and behaviors at a level that is higher than what the adult in the situation is able to manage theirs. So we have to model that because they will use that then to help regulate themselves. And this goes not just for parents. This goes for any adult interacting with a child, whether it's a therapist, a teacher, a classroom assistant, a, a sports coach, whoever it is, we as adults need to model managing those big feelings and, and modeling managing those in a calm and rational and regulated way if we want our kids to do that. So we need to find the tools and the resources that allow us, us to do that and, and looking at what works for us there. But in the big picture, especially with this whole pandemic still going on, where can we care for ourselves a little bit better? If we're finding ourselves frayed you know, with our nerves or boy, I just have no patience. I'm snapping, you know, at everyone all the time, including my kids. What do I need to do to be caring for myself a little more? Do I need to turn my devices off and get to bed a half hour earlier? Do I need to, you know, take a break in the middle of the day from my work or my kids and sit down with a cup of tea and just look out the window and do nothing for 10 minutes? Um, you know, it doesn't need to be big, extensive kinds of things, but what do I need to do to manage myself better so that I can manage what's happening with my kids better and help them manage it better. That's really what it's all about. Yeah. The way you kind of describe it, Nicole, it almost shows it's like this, it's almost like ethical imperative that we are taking care of ourselves to then show up as the, the parents, as the models we want to be. And just like we would expect that if we're using our devices all the time or eating, you know, poor food generally, that our kids are going to see that and probably model that our emotional dysregulation is something else that perhaps has a contagion effect as well as you described, like this bi-directional, if we're dysregulated because our child's dysregulated regulated, they're probably more dysregulated rather than sort of soothing the cycle. So it's incredible information for parents to have. And I guess I'm just, you know, interested in you providing a bit of resources. Where can listeners connect with you, continue this conversation, soak up more wisdom? What are the best ways to reach out? 
Yeah, thank you for asking. So my website is drberkins.com. So D-R-B-E-U-R-K-E-N-S.com. And I've got lots of articles, videos, um, handouts, all kinds of things there that, that parents and professionals can access in all of these kinds of areas that we've um, discussed today. Um, I also, my book, Life Will Get Better, is really... Um, written for parents. Professionals have, you know, find it very helpful too, but it's really a, a foundational book for parents with strategies around nutrition, movement, sleep, parenting um, strategies, and stress reduction uh, for, for kids of all ages, particularly kids who are having attention, anxiety, mood, and behavior challenges. Um, and so that's a very practical book. They can get that uh, on Amazon or wherever books are sold. Um, and then my podcast, The Better Behavior Show, which we are now right around 100 episodes, which is hard to believe. Um, it's one of my favorite things to do. And that show is for uh, parents and professionals who are interested in learning about these holistic ways of approaching um, supporting our child's uh, development, supporting their um, behavior, supporting their mental health. Um, and so that's available on my website and also on all the, the main podcast players. So I um, would love to have people, um, you know, come visit me on any of those places and, and connect further. Beautiful. And I will put links listeners in the show notes. So if you're driving and you didn't get the um, the spelling or the, you know, I guess it makes it a little bit easier to have that spot. So check the show notes and you can click through there to be able to connect with Nicole and, and soak up more holistic parenting wisdom. Thank you so much, Nicole. I really appreciate your time. This was an incredibly in-depth and practical episode. So thank you. Thanks for having me. Great to be here. hope that you found that episode interesting, informative, that you're thinking about pulling out some puzzles, getting some family time organized to do some movement together, maybe even some yoga together, some mindful movement, and really thinking about the fact that what you do matters. You know, what our, what our children see us doing, what they absorb is so vital for their well-being. So definitely making sure that you are cultivating the space to take care of yourself as well. Little people are rewarding and of course, um, you know, energy needing. So making sure that you're taking care of yourself, your well-being is so vital. Now, if you are again interested in that Yoga 101 course, if that's something that maybe sounds like it will support you to cultivate a little bit of me time, actually cultivating the time is something that we talk about in the course and I'll actually have a free workshop coming up explaining the concept of time and how we can support ourselves to utilize this most valuable resource effectively, head to drcaitlin.com and just get onto the mailing list as I'll be letting everyone know about these resources, these offerings in the next few weeks. And I am so excited about them. This is really the area that integrates, that utilizes the knowledge that I've gained from such you know, different areas, yet very much overlapping areas of passion in my life, you know, mindful movement, yoga, and psychology and psychological strategies. I will let you jump back into your day of course now, and I will catch you in a couple of weeks for another Wisdom for Wellbeing episode. Now we are nearly through season three. So next episode, I'll give you a little bit of a summary as well as drop some hints for what will be coming in season four. 
All right, bye for now. Thanks for joining us this week on the Wisdom for Wellbeing podcast. Please visit drcaitlin.com to connect, find show notes, other episodes, and to subscribe. While you're at it, if you find value in the show, we'd appreciate a rating or perhaps simply tell a friend about the show. Wisdom for Wellbeing is not a substitute for professional, individualized mental health treatment. If you are in crisis, please contact 000, your local emergency number if you are outside of Australia, or attend your local hospital ED.